Welcome to the GenesisChurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis, Scott Hunter. Today is a rebroadcast of week two of our current message series called Unshaken, the book of Daniel. I pray this brings you hope and encouragement as we fight similar battles that Daniel faced. Thanks for tuning in. It is a, a good day to be in God's house. It is a second week of a series that we're starting, and it's called Unshaken. And basically, I'm going to take you through highlights of the book of Daniel. I'm going to break down um, a, a chapter each week. I'm going to choose six out of the 12 to speak to you that I believe that God has a message for our current time so much that it, it is like it's an eye-opening experience about how much this book relates to what we are going through on a daily basis. So remember last week I told you about Daniel in this true life story from the Old Testament that he was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And so some the royal families were taken, some of the artists were taken, and they were brought back to Babylon. Now during that time, Daniel then spent three years of prep. Three years of preparation, learning the language, the literature, the Chaldeans. So he did this and allowed him to be an influencer on the culture from the inside out. This message could not be more relevant than where we are at in America. We, as believers, the church, we need to be the ones of influence. We need to be the ones in our nation that, that speak loudly and clearly with love and understanding, but with truth from the inside out. God has positioned so many of you, even here in the capital, to be in a place of where you can speak truth to power. Take our cues from Scripture right now. Amen? Because Scripture is our ideology. It is our theology. I pray that God will give you this insatiable hunger for his word that our weakened messages cannot satisfy. But if you want to be a Daniel, if you want to be an influence on culture, you can't just speak Christianese, right? You can't go walking around in this little bubble that we create this weird subculture where we're like WWJD, right? Or hashtag blessed, right? Like, you got to do more than that. So you got to be more than just living in this little nice little dome of believers where we're all just family tightly knit and we wear things like a breadcrumb and fish t-shirts instead of Abercrombie and fish. Like so, right? You got to live in the world without being of the world. So just FYI, we are not just here to build up this local church. That's not our mission, right? We're trying to bless our community and our city in which we live to the third and the fourth generation, right? Our mission is to know Christ and as we care for our community, our city, and our world. And that last one is tricky. How do you care for a world? How do you reach across the globe on a weekly basis to tell Jesus to those who've never heard his name? Jesus said, go into all the world. But we, we can do this. We can simply invite people to tune in online on our campus where we reach hundreds and hundreds of people around the world each Sunday. And so we just got an upgrade on our online campus Last week, you gave over $8,000 in a single separate offering for our big gift. So give yourselves a round of applause. So that allows an upgrade of this technology that we need to reach the world. So these upgrades are going to keep coming as they come in from the time that we've ordered them. So why do we do this? Because we greatly believe that our call is 
community, city, and world. Our people just invested eight grand into reaching all of you because you matter to us because you are still part of Genesis Church. And as much as we want to reach the world, though, we also have to sit in this weird... Someone else will take care of it, but no, 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 no. God says, you've got to be here and influence those around you. You've got to start somewhere locally. And for you, that really means your own circle. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. God has called you to be a prophet, to be a voice in your sphere of influence. That's your circle of friends. That's your family. That's your coworkers. That's your fellow students. How do you reach them? With the anointing that the Spirit has poured upon you, that is welling up within you, and that is spoken from your lips. I believe that God really is raising up a generation of people like Daniel and like Esther who just aren't afraid and Deborah's and Nehemiah's fighter. Just fighters, man. But they were ordinary people. But they had this prophetic anointing, right? It's God pouring out his spirit upon you that enables you to do things that you and I can't take credit for. Prophets don't predict the future. Prophets are the future. You are the ones that go into dark places and you break the glass ceilings, you blaze new trails, you change the culture and you shake the world with the same 10 times anointing that helped Daniel do what Daniel did. That same kind of spirit is available to you and I prayed over your lives today. And if you will spend time with the Lord, I promise you, as you begin to love the Lord with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, God will put his hand upon you. He will put his anointing upon you. He will put his word in your mouth so that you will speak truth in love to a dark and dying world. That you might show up and that you might speak truth to power. Let's look at how Daniel did just that, right? We're going to break down a different chapter today. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 4. It's kind of a super weird story. A lot of times we just read it and we just pass right over it. But today I'm going to focus in on Daniel chapter 4, and it's really about King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and the people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. He says, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonder that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Sounds real good, doesn't it? Nebuchadnezzar saying all the right things, but I'm going to call his bluff this morning. It's that thing that you hear on the news, virtue signaling, right? It's as old as Nebi, right? What is virtue signaling? It's publicly expressing an opinion that's just socially acceptable. It's politically correct, but it is totally disingenuous. It's saying the right things, but you can't just say the right things. You've got to walk out what you believe. My concern is is that it relates to our culture that we're in a place where we would rather look good, we would rather Instagram ourselves, than do good. I believe that we all kind of have in our culture right now this weird spirit of Nebuchadnezzar. We'd rather be right than righteous. We'd rather seem a pious than seem to be a servant. That's not good enough as the body of Christ. That's not good enough as God's people to do and live like that. Virtue signaling stinks. It gets us nowhere doesn't take you anywhere good as a nation. Newsflash, hashtags aren't going to fix the world. Hashtag Putin, like price hike, who cares? Hashtag let's go Brandon, does nothing. Helps no one. How has that impacted your life in a positive way? Nothing. 
It puts blame on somebody. It points fingers. We need solutions. We need actions. We need a people of God who actually care about the world, who are full of life and compassion, to speak with compassion on people with deafened ears. Our biggest yet, man, we need a revival. We need a revival. See, revival starts with repentance, and it starts with people in the church. Isn't that crazy that the people of God have so much power that it shifts the entire atmosphere of the world? And it's not, it doesn't begin with those who care less about him. It starts with us. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, not them, us, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Church, we got to get it right before those who are in power get it right. All right, so let's jump back into Nebuchadnezzar and dump that soapbox. Here we go. Ready? He's, he feels like, I got it all. He's happy. He's content. And then, boom, something shakes him from like this weird sense of apathy that everything is good to go. Look at this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that had passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and the enchanters and the astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. I wonder why. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. Now, if you read this whole chapter, you got to like, tell me who you think is narrating this. It's not Daniel. It's super, like, really weird. Like, it, it just changes. And it's like Daniel gives the microphone to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's taking this moment, and, like, this entire chapter is narrated by him. And it's amazing to me because it lets you into the mind of an ancient king's headspace and heart space. That word prosperous and Aramaic. Nebuchadnezzar says, in that moment, I feel prosperous, right? That translates in our vernacular, to luxury. I'm living in the lap of luxury, he says. I have, like, the total Babylonian privilege, right? And then, boom, there's this dream from God, and it scares him half to death, more like half to life. And I'll take you there in a minute. He says, I was lying in bed, and the images and the visions that had passed through my mind terrified me. It shook him. And if you read it in verse 10, I'll give you the cliff notes because it's long. Like, he says, okay, I have this dream, and there's this tall tree, and you can't even see the top. It's so huge. It provides food. It gives shade. And then this vision, this watchman shows up and it says to someone, cut down that tree. Cut off its branches. Shake the leaves. Scatter all the fruit. It's a prophetic dream that's about to happen to him. Now, it sure seems like it sounds like that tree is about to be destroyed, right? Daniel is sought out to make sense of this Nebuchadnezzar moment. Look at what it says in verse 24 through 28. Daniel straight up tells him, this is the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High. He is issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from the people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is 
sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sin by doing what is right. Renounce your sin. Stop doing what is wicked by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel just gives a straight-up warning. He says, because of your arrogance, because you think that you have built this great kingdom by your own power, by your own will, you're going to go mad. You're going to go straight-up crazy for seven years, and you're going to be literally eating grass out the field. You're going to think you're an ox. I wouldn't want that message, right? So he says you're going to eat in the field until you humble yourself, and then I'll give you your right mind back. History books dismiss the account of that Nebuchadnezzar was, was mad, right? I believe this is just something that was from the Bible. They call it unhistorical, but there's no historical record of his governmental activity between 582 B.C. and 575 B.C. Seven years. Explain that away for me, please. So yes, the tree is being cut down to size, no doubt, but this should not be called like chopping down. This should really be called pruning. Anybody ever been pruned before in your life? Yeah, it's not fun, is it? So like you want to grow a tree the right way, we got to prune it. You got to trim it so it gives it structural integrity and, and it allows maximum fruitfulness. Pruning mitigates the risk also of broken limbs from getting too heavy. Nebuchadnezzar had this pride problem. He was getting pretty heavy, right? So if God is going to get to him and through him, his pride has to be pruned away, has to be trimmed up. And this is the key. Pruning allows for more growth. So you get to the end of the dream, and then there's that promise. God leaves a stump with a root system that is still alive. It's not the rise and fall of Nebuchadnezzar he's promising. He's promising the fall and the rise of Nebuchadnezzar if he will humble himself, if he will believe in the almighty God and not just talk it, not just virtue signal it, but believe and live it out. Verse 26 says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Why prune? So that it can grow again in the right way. It sounds like God's destroying it, but it's not. And I, and I can see this, and I can honestly see this in America right now. We're like in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes, like pride keeps getting in our way, right? We had major tragedy in our world this week. See, we in this country, we keep living in this like cycle of arrogance, in this arrogance mode, and then something bad happens, and then our eyes get opened. And then we go back to being arrogant, and we let it go, right? It seems like pruning is happening in our country. It's heartbreaking. I don't know why God allows certain things to happen, but I know that somehow, even in the ashes, that the things that God does not cause, he will still take something out of it and make miracles from it. That's what he does. Look at the life of Job. Look at the life of Joseph in the pit, and then he became one in the palace. Look at the life of Daniel, who's taken away from his home, put in captivity, and then put second in charge of the entire nation of Babylon. It seems as if we, the church, God's people, have kind of taken a hit lately, and I, I kind of feel like church 
across the globe, and I say the church, I mean every believer on planet Earth that believes in Jesus Christ. We kind of feel like a stump. COVID took many of us out of the fold. So I really believe that people are either hot right now or cold. Like that lukewarm garbage that Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth, like that kind of stuff, that the meh believers, they're not around. The people who like semi used to buy in occasionally, they tapped out. So the hot remain. Y'all are hot this morning. Ooh, ooh. Right? Especially the one in the back running the online church. What's up, baby? It's my wife. All right, listen. Not certain with some random person. Because I'm sure there would be vomit in their mouth. All right, listen. Again, it's the people that are on fire for God that remain. And, and, and I see it because I, I see people beginning to bring people again. People who are curious and just be looking for something that they don't have, seeking something more. And I pray that today, if you've been brought here by somebody, you've been invited here by somebody that, that you find what you're looking for, friends. Because we are all here with one purpose, to be a part of that significant growth with the root system and that stump to grow into something bigger and better than it ever has before, with messengers who are well-equipped, with the word of God in their mouth, sharing that message of truth and love louder than ever before, that we look like a prepared bride because we are a prepared bride awaiting Christ's return because he is coming back. A bride who is on fire and is ready to build his kingdom before he splits the sky and returns because time is ticking, kids. But what I want to personalize for you in this moment of Nebuchadnezzar's story is how is God pruning you? Where is God pruning you? I think sometimes the Spirit of God allows me to give you a Nebuchadnezzar dream, wake-up call moment here in church. And today I just want to tell you and remind you man, that he loves you. He loves you the way that you are. But listen, God wants to produce fruitfulness from your life. God loves you so much that he will not leave you the way that you first got to him. He wants something great to emerge from your life. That's what fruitfulness means. You need to produce something. And the way that he does that sometimes comes through pruning, cutting out the things that are not good in your life. Why? Because he loves you and he sees your full potential. Cutting out what needs to be trimmed. It may not feel good at the time. It never does but it's actually God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. So pruning is part of your spiritual journey. It happens to all of us. And his process of doing all this is so that you and I will look more like, act like Jesus Christ. And everything that we say, and everything that we do, and everywhere that we go, that's who we're being shaped to look like. And I don't know how we're going to look back on these crazy three years of 2020 to 2022. Like when the school year ends, I look back and I kind of reflect on all that's happened. It's like that pause time this weekend is. And I look back and I'm like, these three years, like it's my, my youngest child's entire middle school career, time, whatever you call that. And it's been like this weird blip, right? I feel like we are in some kind of crazy Marvel movie, right? Like, but I'm more and more convinced that these three years 
have been a season of pruning of us as a church, as the church. I'm convinced that there is this three-year end in sight. Now there's this reckoning, this call for the church to wake back up. We'll talk more about that next week. But I want to spend some time closing out by specifically looking at verses 8 and 9 of the story. It says, At last Daniel came in before me, he who was known as Belteshazzar, at the name of my God. His rename literally means lady who serves Bel, the God. But then he says, In whom is the spirit of the holy God, the one true God, And in verse 9, he says the truth. The spirit of the holy God is in you. And no mystery is too difficult for you. See, there's a lot happening right here. We're reminded, right, that the name that's been given to to Daniel by Nebuchadnezzar is is a reboot, a rebrand, a rename for his area where he's at. Please hear me. The enemy wants to undermine your call and your identity in Christ. He wants to rename you. That's what culture does by giving you some weird false identity just fashioned as a cultural icon. The culture wants to name you. The culture wants to tame you. And and somehow, because of the Spirit of God, Daniel remains Daniel. How does that happen? I'm going to tell you exactly how. The internal pressure of the Holy Spirit at work in his life is greater than all the external pressure that Babylon can bring to bear. Daniel's spirit-filled. Daniel's spirit-led. Outsiders would look at him and be like, there's something different about that dude. Like, he's got the X factor. He's got the it factor. It's a thing that makes you and I noticeable, remarkable, unstoppable. It's that 10 times anointing that rests heavily upon you as you pray, God, anoint me to be the light and the dark. That's the kind of stuff that makes you stand out. I'm sorry, but it just does. It's the Spirit of God and the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He dwells in you if you are a believer. And that is going to make something different about your life. People are going to be like, what is up with that person walking around? They just straight up weird. They got like a weird glow. Why are you always happy? Why are you always kind to people? There's something different about you. Because God is living on the inside of you. And his spirit is pouring out from the inside out. And it is something that is contagious. It permeates the atmosphere. It shifts the entire arena on which you live. Now let me break down how Daniel speaks truth to power in this moment. It's kind of hard to explain. Stick with me. See, at this point, outside of Israel, gods were like geographical gods. You would have this god over here, and that god over here, and this god over here. So they all kind of sheltered in this place, that place, that place. They only had power in their jurisdiction, right? So the Babylonian gods only had like gods built to look like a god in Babylon, right? Makes sense, but not Yahweh. Daniel is 900 miles away from Jerusalem. It doesn't matter why. Because God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. The Talmud says it like this. From the day the temple was destroyed, God has nothing in this world but four cubits of halakha. Halakha in the Hebrew means the way. The way of walking. It refers to you and to me. 
It's precisely what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means you are a walking, talking Torah. You are a walking, talking temple. For us now, we are walking as New Testament believers filled with the Spirit of God. You were sent as a messenger with the gospel of Jesus Christ on your lips. His words in your mouth. You were sent to set the captives free. So to Nebuchadnezzar and to everybody he encounters, Daniel is the Torah. Daniel is the hope of God. Daniel has God's word in his mouth. Daniel is the temple to the most powerful person on the planet in 6th century B.C. A captive. <laughs> Listen to this. Nebuchadnezzar plunders the temple in Jerusalem. That doesn't deter God. God uses a human temple named Daniel to do what Israel's army could not, and he brings an ancient king to his knees. That's the power of God in you. But you're the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. You're the only church that some people will ever attend. You're the only Jesus that they will ever see. And as terrible as this COVID crisis has been, let me remind you, you don't just go to a church. You are the church. You are Genesis anywhere and everywhere that you walk. You are a believer. You are the light and the darkness. You are the salt of the earth everywhere you go. Now, here's the amazing thing about Daniel. Daniel is operating the gifts of the Spirit 700 years before those gifts are ever named or identified. Daniel is functioning at least six of these supernatural gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, even though they don't exist yet on paper, but the Spirit of God is operating in that function within Daniel, and Daniel is exercising them. So I want to take two minutes to talk about one of these gifts that I think kind of are overlooked or underappreciated, and you see it displayed in Daniel through this entire story, and it's still active in, in some level in all of us if we're a follower of Christ. But I believe as you can pray for God to ignite this gift in you, he will pour it out all over you. It is called discernment. In 2022, we need discernment. If you're taking notes, jot this down. It is the ability to distinguish between what is true and what is false. Let me give you a little further meaning about that. It, that includes false narratives, what people are saying that aren't true, but it also includes false motives and false humility. It's rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. It's awareness that the enemy has got some schemes going on, 2 Corinthians 2.11. The enemy, who I don't like to give a lot of air time to, but I'm going to break it down because I think there's three signatures of the kind of garbage he's trying to do like he was back then in the world that he's still doing today in the world. Signature one, he's the accuser of the brethren or he's the accuser of the church. He's using the one thing that he's great at, which is guilt, right? Shame. To keep you living in the past, you have to identify these false accusations and, and realize if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not true about who you are because your identity is found in Christ Jesus. Cancel culture is playing right into the enemy hands right now. One strike, you're out. How about the word grace? How about the word forgiveness? There are no, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not pointing at fingers at you. He is not trying to destroy you. He's not trying to stomp you down on the ground. So would you just take a deep breath? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second signature is that he's great at it. It's like smoke and mirrors, right? So he masquerades as what the Bible says, the angel of light, but he is not, right? The angel of light 
makes what is wrong seem right. There's a lot of that going on right now. Our culture says what is wrong is right, and we celebrate it, right? We sacrifice truth on the altar of tolerance where we celebrate things that we know are not right for us and not good for us. You've got to rightly divide the culture by using the word of God and use it as a gift that comes from discernment and from the spirit of God. Let it lead you and make you understand this is what God's word says. This is what culture says. Which one is right? I'm going to go with the one that has never let me down. And finally, the third signature the enemy loves to do is lie, 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 lie. He's called the father of lies. Anywhere there is a loss of hope, that means you have believed the lie of the enemy. His native tongue is BS. Like he is false narrative. He is false ideology. He is fake news. We need discernment now more than ever. Let's keep it real. Jump to verse 19. Daniel has a dream. And he's at a loss. Daniel. He's confused. You know why? Because he doesn't want to give Nebuchadnezzar bad news. He's learned to love the king for who the king is, despite all of his faults, and he doesn't want to tell them, this is what's about to happen to you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, you do not... Uh, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Like, just don't worry about what you see, what is being interpreted. Just tell me. Different translation says that he was appalled. He was alarmed. He was confused. He was scared. Sounds a lot like where we're at right now. COVID never seems to go away. I know three people who just got it in my life this week, and one of them has cancer. And I'm just, I'm like, Lord, is this ever going to end? Right? We're being told if Roe versus Wade goes back to the states for the states to decide that there's going to be this crazy upheaval and it's going to feel like destruction this summer, like the tragedy after Floyd. Like it, it's, it's going to be a mess of hurting others and burning our nation to the ground. Like that's what we're told. And we're told that the crisis in America for all these dumb things that can't get settled, it's not going to get better. You might as well suck it up. It's just going to get worse. Where, where are solutions where is the voice of reason? Where's the voice of truth? Where's the voice of kindness? Why, why do we have to live scared and angry? Is anybody else just exhausted? I, I, I can't even turn on the news. Like, we're genuinely concerned about a, a country in this moment, but it seems to be at a crossroad. But please hear me. Don't forget there's still a living stump with roots. That means to you and to me, you don't lose faith, you don't lose heart. We're going to confront the brutal facts with unwavering faith. Why? Because God's got this. God's got you. The battle does not belong to you, it belongs to the Lord. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. God wins. Love wins. Truth wins. So let me just close out with verse 29 and I'll say something that hopefully will pull this all together. God, God warns him. He's like, it's about to hit the fan for you, Nebi, right? But what does he do? This is the God of grace you serve. He gives him 12 months, a year, 
to just say, sorry, God. To repent, to get it right. He, he has this time to deal with his pride before pride takes him down and sends him seven years to, to cuckoo land, right? So God is so patient with Nebuchadnezzar's pride, but at some point, enough is enough. So Neb's now a year older, but he's not a year wiser. He's a year prouder, and he's a year louder. Nebuchadnezzar was talking, and he's on the flat, the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. He's looking out over the whole city, and he looks at this great city and says, I built this city, right, right, rock and roll. Uh, Daniel, no, he didn't do that. This is what he said, verse 29. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, it's not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. How much warning do you need? Right? King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat like grass, like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Wow. I look at that and I'm like, could King Nebuchadnezzar be more proud of himself? Then there's a moment where like that strong that breaks the camel's back happens. Pride takes over his entire personality and the king is reduced to literal animal instincts. Some lessons take seven years to learn. I hope that's not the way with you. Some lessons take seven years of humbling. You might want to humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord for whatever's going on in your life. Something that I have to do on a daily basis. Because some lessons take seven years of pain and suffering. And God is warning you, here's your 12-month warning, here's your space before he speaks. And Nebuchadnezzar is at rock bottom. And I want you to hear this. If you're here yourself and you're in that moment, God will grab your attention. Why? Because God does not want to see you lost. He will allow circumstances to grip you. We may give up on God, but God never gives up on you. He's always chasing after you. He always wants your life. He always believes in your rise again moment gave him a seven-year period. I'm going to close with this tipping point. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, your rule will be restored. See, God is in the restoration business, the rebuilding business. Your rule will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules, that there is a God in heaven, that he is seated on his throne. He is not nervous. (laughs) He's gracious and he's loving and he's powerful He's also just, and he's merciful, and his kingdom will come, and his will is going to be done. Every knee will bow, and every tongue is going to confess someday that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, why are you waiting? What is it that you're waiting for? Don't be prideful that like Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't all me. I don't need God. I'm self-sufficient without him. No. You know you need him. 
you, he loves you, he knows exactly what you need, you need him. And you're not going to find life until you find Christ, until you surrender to him. Would you do that right now? Like, just, just, just stop. Stop playing games. Playing God of your own life is exhausting. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did his entire life. And I think one of the greatest gifts that God can give telling us this is it. And even allowing us to get to the end of our rope and letting us come to this revelation that the world doesn't revolve around us. And because we don't have to keep the planets in orbit and because we don't have to solve every problem and we don't have to judge every issue, you can surrender to God and just lay all that at his feet. Because God is pleading with you in this moment. Just surrender your life. Just give me your life. Let me do something great with you. Don't let your life implode. Because when you find me, you'll find all that you've ever been looking for. John 10, 10 tells us that the thief, the liar, the deceiver, he is coming to kill and destroy your life, not him. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Life to the fullest, the very best. It comes with trials. It comes with sacrifice. It's not the easiest life, but it's the best life. So stop playing games. Stop shouldering that pride. It's finally time to stop allowing the enemy, the father of lies, to convince you that what you're doing right now is as good as ever going to get. No, it's not. Start a life all over again. Step into relationship with Jesus Christ and you will find life that is fuller and freer than you could ever possibly imagine, you will find life more abundantly. Just give Jesus a chance. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.genesischurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.